But this morning, I did some time this week actually thinking about a few people that have been faithful to me. I love that song that we just sang. Then it reminded me of people as I was thinking this week, people through the course of my life that have been faithful to me. And faithfulness is defined as a person who's steadfast, constant, unwavering, and loyal. So first came my wife, my soulmate, my best friend, trustworthy, honest, always has my back and my best interests and minds, always sacrificially serving me. And then I thought about my kids, and I thought about the abundant forgiveness and love that they have towards me. Their faith like a child, even though I've done things to wrong them, their willing their willingness to move past it, to forgive me, and to love me with such crazy faithfulness. And then I thought about my family of origin. And it's not without its ups and downs, and I'm sure we can all attest to that. But we've always been there for each other. We've always forgiven each other. We've always provided and protected each other. And then there were a few friends along the way that I deemed faithful And I want you to think this morning, as we start off, as we're going to be talking about this theme of faithfulness, who do you know that has been faithful to you in your life? And why do you choose them? And so as you're thinking about that this morning, I want to introduce you to our new summer series, which we kicked off last week, and we're going to continue on through this entire summer. And it's called Voices or its more lengthy name, Voices from the Past, Minor Prophets with a Modern Message. And we don't just want to look at each of these voices, each of these prophets, and just hear what they had to say. I mean, they all had really good things to say. But rather, we want to take it a step further. We want to see not only how what they said, but how it also applies to our lives. And then, here's the real thing, we want to take it even a step further and actually make sure that we're applying those things in our life today, too. So today we start our series by turning to the minor prophet of Hosea. So go ahead, and if you want to open to Hosea. Hosea comes right after the last major prophet, Daniel. And if you want to read ahead each week, we're going to read in the order that these minor prophets find themselves in the Old Testament. So this week is going to be Hosea. Then next week's going to be Joel. Then the week after that, Amos, Obadiah. And we'll just keep going. But in order to get us all on the same page for diving into Hosea this morning, I'm going to quickly start by giving you a little bit of background. If you read the entire Old Testament in full, you're going to realize that the Israelites pretty much have a track record of disobeying God, doing it their own way. And God, God gives them countless chances, spanning hundreds of years, but slowly the people kept moving further and further away from following God. And it had always been known that if the Israelites turned away from God and disobeyed him, that it would not go well for them. And you can actually go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 
and see the blessings as well as the, the curses of what would happen if they weren't faithful to God. This was not a surprise to them that they would be overtaken by an enemy nation and be taken away from their home, away from the promised land, if they did not obey and follow and live right before God. But maybe with their countless chances, they didn't think that it would really happen. I don't know. I'm wondering. But these minor prophets, though, they come, then the ones we're going to be talking about all summer long, and they come to these people basically saying to the Israelites, last chance. This is your last chance to return to God, to live for him, or else it would happen. They were going to be overtaken by an enemy nation, be a let, being led away from their home, away from their land, being exiled. And so some of these minor prophets, you got to know, were written before the exile. This is the case with Hosea, written before the exile. Some of them were written during the exile, after they had been taken away by the enemy nation to, to their land. And some of them were written after the exile, once they were back in the promised land again. But think about that. The Israelites actually got to go back to the promised land after they were exiled. Talk about second chances. Have you ever thought about that before? Hosea wrote before the Israelites were exiled, as I said, and taken out of the promised land, and were warning them to return to God and this happened during the middle of the 700s BC. And we know that this was a little bit right before uh, the first group of the Israelites were exiled in 722-721 BC. And we know this because in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, um, gives us a backdrop of when this book was written by telling us which kings of Israel and which kings of Judah were this prophet wrote or spoke during. And so if you read verse 1, you're going to see that, you know, it was during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These were the kings of Judah. And then also during the king of Jeroboam uh, up in the north in Israel. And we know that there was still at least 40 to 50 years before, like I said, before the first exile in the north. And then there was also about... 100 years before this exile in the south, and we know that by the amount of kings that were left and how many years they ruled. But then in, so we know the backdrop, okay, verse 1, these are the kings that Hosea was written, was written during, and then we've got this idea uh, of the context of what was said in the beginning of Hosea. And it says in verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. This is our backdrop. He's told to marry a woman who had committed adultery, a prostitute named Gomer. Why in the world would God ask this prophet, Hosea, 
to take a wife that was a prostitute and then have children with her, knowing all along that she was going to be unfaithful to him. Now, if you keep reading this, this book, you'll see that it's because God was trying to communicate to the Israelites through Hosea, not just how faith, unfaithful they had been to him, but also how faithful he would continue to be to them in spite of their unfaithfulness to him. Yes, they were, as we know, if you read the whole Old Testament, they were going to go through 70 years of exile and they, then before they were brought back, but God was going to redeem them again. He was going to be faithful to them. But we see in chapter 1 that before he redeems them, things were going to start happening. And we see this through Hosea's, not only him marrying his wife, Gomer, but through his three children. If you read chapter 1, you'll see that God is using Hosea's family and their names to speak to the Israelites. So I'm just going to paraphrase it for you really quickly. But his first son, or his first son, but Gomer bore a son in verse 4. And they called him Jezreel, which very quickly means God scatters, uh, which is kind of interesting. But he, he was named Jezreel because there would be punishment like the massacre at Jezreel and a putting to the end of the kingdom of Israel. So this, this description most likely means that if you go back and read 2 Kings and during when all the kings were, there were a couple of kings that were slain by Jehu in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. I encourage you to go back and read it later. And there was bloodshed and the rule of their kingdoms was brought to an end. And what he's saying is so too, just like those kingdom, their kingdoms were brought to an end, so too the kingdom of Israel soon is going to be brought to an end and exiled. And then in verse 6, they have a daughter, their first daughter. And her name means, I will no longer show love to the house of Israel. Yikes. <laughs> Think about Sherrod not just that, having that name, but having to share that with the people of Israel. And then in verse 9, it says that Gomer had a second son. And... This son's name meant, you are not my people, and I am not your God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it would have been a little rough being this prophet, not just because of, like, the ridicule and uh, the responses from the people, them probably not believing what he was saying was true, but also, sometimes you may have wondered, God, are my kids going to be doomed too? And I don't know, I just, I'm wondering what it would have been like to be Hosea. But what was so special and what we can glean is that even after this, all this talk of judgment and doom and the things that were going to happen, read with me in chapter one. Okay, and you got to realize this is before the exile ever takes place. This is before the Israelites ever come back and take their land again. It says in verse 10 of chapter one in Hosea, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, see verse 9, you are not my people, right? They will also be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come out, 
Come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. What was so amazing, what's so amazing about this is that right here in chapter 1, it talks about Israel's redemption before the exile ever happened. God was showing Israel the bad, yes, that was going to happen to them, but also the good that was going to happen to them before it ever happened. God is showing the Israelites that he was going to be faithful to them. Now, if you read in chapter 2, if we skip on and keep going into chapter 2, you're going you're gonna to read a lot about how Israel had been unfaithful to God. Okay, it spells it out there, just as Gomer had been faithful to Hosea. So you can read it in both lenses, both ways. But it's talking about this unfaithfulness that's taking place. And then we get to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, you've pro- you got to think, Man, you know, Hosea, okay, she's been unfaithful to him. She's left him. Uh, makes perfect sense that, all right, she's, she's off on her own now, right? That seems like how this should go. Not so. Let's go ahead and read chapter 3, and let's see what happens here. It says, the Lord said to me, the Lord said to Hosea, go, show yourself to your wife again. Though, though she's loved by another man and she's an adulteress, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Did you hear that? Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many years. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and his, to his blessings in the last day. He, it says that he, Gomer, or Hosea, was to go and buy Gomer back and redeem her. I don't know about you, but that seems like the opposite of what she deserved and what I thought the outcome of the story was going to be. But it says that that's what he was going to do for Gomer, just like that's what God was going to do for Israel. And this paints a picture for us of just how faithful God is to us. And it says that if you, if you read that chapter that we just read, or those verses, he bought her back for 15 shekels of silver and the equivalent of 15 shekels of barley. Catch this. I'm pretty sure Hosea wasn't a rich man. How do you know this, Pastor Michael? Well, because he didn't even have enough silver to buy her back with. He used part silver part barley to buy her back. He was just a normal person, just like the rest of us. And when I realized that this week, it was so inspiring to me. It was so incredible to me that God doesn't just use wealthy people in the Bible or the people who have it all together, but he uses ordinary people. He uses normal people just like you, just like me. We can all be used by God in mighty and powerful and important ways. And church family, 
this is good news. This is really good news. And in Hosea, we see more than anything how, faith, how faithful God is to us. And if we were to flip over to the New Testament, we would see that this is exactly what Jesus did for us and how faithful he was to us. And he wasn't a rich man either. I don't know if you remember, but he was born in a stable. He was born in an animal barn because there was no room for his parents in any of the inns. And he was from Nazareth at that. And I don't know if you know the statement, but what good can come from Nazareth, they would say. Nazareth was not a place of standing. Yet that's where Jesus was born. Jesus, even though he was the king of kings in heaven, he was a normal man on earth. And this Jesus, that if you keep coming to Grace Point on a regular basis, you're going to keep hearing us talk to him about him time and time again because of the way he's transformed our lives and because we want to pass that on to you too. This same Jesus that we're talking about is the Jesus that gave his life and bought us back, not with money, but with his very blood, with his very life, so that we could be forgiven, so that all of our wrongdoing, all of our sin could be washed away. Jesus has been so faithful to us. And it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom really means that, I don't know if you caught that connection, but it's basically saying that he was going to buy us back, that he was going to redeem us for a life in heaven. He was going to buy us back. Just like Hosea redeemed Gomer and took her back to have a life with him that she did not deserve. Jesus has been so faithful to all of us all along. And I just want to encourage you, maybe you've heard that your entire life, but maybe you've never believed in, maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, as your King. I just want to ask, would you be willing to do that right now? And if you are, I'm just going to pray a prayer, and I'll just ask you to pray it along with me. But Father, you have been so faithful to me. You have been so faithful to us. And God, I know that I have sinned. I know time and time again I have done things that are wrong. But I know that it's through your son, Jesus, that all of that can be taken away. And so I want to come before you right now, Jesus, and I want to place my life in your hands. I want to ask you to forgive me of all of my wrongdoing, of anything that I have ever done wrong. I no longer want to live for myself. I want to live for you. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my king. I surrender my life to you. I want to be in heaven with you. Please, Lord, come and help me know how to live for you day by day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would just encourage you, please don't, don't either don't leave this morning or, uh, or go through this week without calling us somehow or getting a hold of us. 
emailing us, letting us know that you made that decision. But because of this, because of what Jesus has done for us, Ephesians chapter 5, two, verses 1 and 2 tell us, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And the rest of Hosea talks about more of the same. I mean, that's, Hosea is all about how Israel was going to be exiled if she didn't return to God, but how God was going to be faithful to her, how he was going to redeem her in the end. And if you look further at your outline, you're going to see some passages that talk about that. Um, Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 through 11, and chapter 14, verses 4 through 7. So take a look at those. But also, if you read the rest of Hosea this week, you're going to see a name. And I just want to kind of spell that out for you real quickly. The name is Ephraim, and you're going to hear that name a lot. And don't just wonder, well, why is that there? Okay, the reason it's there is because Ephraim was the name of Israel's largest tribe. Ephraim was also the name of one of Joseph's sons, and it was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Ephraim. And it's also the name that came to be used as the, for the northern kingdom of Israel as a whole. And so you could substitute Ephraim for Israel. He's basically saying Israelites or Ephraimites. He was talking to them when he's writing Hosea. He's talking to the Israelites. And I just didn't want you to get confused hearing that name Ephraim every time you read and wondering what does that mean? It's just another name for the Israelites. But here's the deal. Okay, so the minor prophets, they had a message for then, but they also have a message for us today too. And this is where it gets real. We might know this, that God has been faithful to us and that he wants us to be faithful to him and others. We, we might know this, but do we know this? Has it, has it made its way into our hearts and are we living it? Okay, has it, has it made its way from our head to our hearts? Only about 12 inches, maybe a little less, but sometimes it's the furthest of gaps and we never encounter it, experience it, or live it ourselves. So an application that I have for us is, are we, are we displaying this faithfulness to God and to others? And I, I, just, wanna, I just want you to, to, to hear that again and, and really think about this morning, not in a, in a head way, but in a heart way, are, are you really, am I really displaying faithfulness to God and to others? Because a wise scholar once said, to live is not to learn, but to apply. And we all know so much, but we need to be able to take that knowledge that we have and, and put that into practice. And so for a lot of us, we might hear, okay, how is God faithful to us? And that might feel like, man, that is so vague. Um, or there just might, it might not be connecting all the dots of what that means. And so I just want to give us three things that came to my mind this week as I was reflecting on what does it mean that God is faithful to us? How is God faithful to us? And so here's the first one. The first one is that God gives the Israelites and us multiple chances and forgives us time and time again. Uh, and this is not just in Hosea's life example with his wife, but this is also seen in God bringing the Israelites back from exile 
and giving them a second chance. It's also seen by God setting up the sacrificial system so that the Israelites could have their sins covered and washed away uh, from all their sin and wrongdoing. It's, it's seen with Jesus and what he did for us. And so we too then, we know this, but then we too must forgive others and multiple times even sometimes. And the Bible talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 33, an amazing story. I'd encourage you to go read it sometime. Uh, but this man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? I mean, seven times. And obviously he was, he was uh, probably being a little prideful because a lot of the people, the teachers, the rabbis in that day said, common rules, three. But he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times. <laughs> Jesus says, no, no, no. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. I'll spare you all the details, but basically what Jesus was saying was every time, as many times as it takes. And we see this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, that it says, unless you forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And we know that he forgave us the biggest debt ever. And therefore, we should follow his example and forgive others that hurt us too. And be faithful to him in that way. Now, let me make something clear. <laughs> Just because we forgive somebody does not mean that we need to necessarily trust them or let them back in the same amount that we let them in before. But it does mean that we have to work on not holding on to bitterness or resentment or anger or rage or wounds or pain from that or hopelessness, or fear. The fact of the matter is that when we, don't for, when we don't forgive, we think, really, we're sticking it to them, and that we're hurting them, but do you know the one who's really hurt the most by not forgiving is ourselves? It really keeps us in bondage. But only God can give us the power to forgive others for the horrible things that they've done to us. And by doing so, the Bible says that we will be set free. When we know, if we're Christians, that we're supposed to be forgiving others, but being faithful to them and to God means, are we really doing it? Are we being faithful by forgiving others? Are we applying this to our lives? Because this is what Jesus did for us. And I've, I've been there before trying, struggling, trying to forgive others, I, and I've been trying to do that. And I can say because of this and from dif just different experiences that I've had that if we don't forgive others, it's, it stunts our spiritual growth. It's like, it's like we're, we're supposed to be a, a river or a stream that's running and flowing freely. And all of a sudden, when we don't forgive others, it's like a big tree trunk gets put in there and then tree branches and twigs and all kinds of stuff and maybe even eventually it gets completely dammed up and nothing's getting through. And it's not until we learn to forgive and we're able to forgive that spiritual growth can fully run free and flow. Who may you need to forgive this morning? 
This is the first way that came to my mind that God's faithful to us and that he also asks us to be faithful to him and to others. Number two, how is God faithful to us? Simply by the type of person that he is. Okay, if you flip over to a famous Old Testament verse, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. I was talking with Pastor Steve about this this week, and I never realized this, but Exodus chapter 4, verse 6, 34, verse 6 is really God's first self-description of himself. The first time in the Bible that God says, here's who I am. And I don't know about you, but if you were given a chance to say, here's who I am, I don't know, a lot of people might say their accomplishments, or a lot of people might say, you know, the things that make, that they're the most proud of, or the people that are the most proud of, or whatever it might be. But in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, Jesus, or God could have said anything about who he is. And this is what he says. I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving, loving kindness. We too must be gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, full of love and kindness. We too must be faithful. And we must ask the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, changing our hearts, giving us Christ-like character qualities. Are these attributes seen in your life? Can people see these attributes? Grace, compassion, patience, love, kindness. You see, these things are much richer and deeper in quality than the world tells us that they are. The world tells us that these, these attributes or these qualities are one-dimensional, but when we learn about who God really is and what his character is like, we see that each of these character qualities are multi-dimensional and packed full of meaning, and that if we would take this time to unpack them and fully understand them and apply them, our minds would be blown away. For instance, one deeper dimension of grace, and grace is uh, maybe a gift that we don't deserve. That's like the easiest way to explain it. But one deeper dimension of grace is generosity. Or take compassion. A deeper dimension of compassion is a heart for the lost. Take patience. A deeper dimension of patience, this multidimensional quality of patience, is slow waiting. Or take love. A deeper dimension of love is living as a citizen of heaven. Or take kindness. A deeper dimension of kindness is positively gossiping about someone and building them up in front of others. And each of these descriptions is just one other unique dimension of each of these multidimensional qualities. And the more that you press into God, the more that we press into him, the more that we get to know them, the more that we understand him, the more that we're going to be un able to understand the deeper heavenly depths and the meaning of each one of these godly character qualities. So who, who can you show one of these character qualities to this week? 
We don't just want to know God, but we want to show God and his character quality to others. This is part of being faithful to God. And then last, how is God faithful to us? This is the last way I thought of this week that I feel like God brought to my attention. He keeps his promises to Abraham by giving him a son, to the Israelites by bringing them out of slavery and into the promised land, by providing manna and quail and water every step of the way while the Israelites were in the wilderness. He kept his promise to King David that he would establish through him an eternal kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. For us, he's promised eternal life. We too should keep our promises to God and to others. And in Matthew 5.37, it says, let your yes be yes and your, your no be no. But how many times is it easy not to keep our promises? Maybe you've broken a promise this week. I mean, think about it though. We usually don't take the time to think about this, but what negative implications and ripple effects does not keeping your promise produce? Usually we don't ponder this far, but it's important to do so. Maybe not keeping our promise produces a child no longer believing that a promise holds value or a child losing hope in life or in you. Maybe not keeping a promise produces a colleague or a friend seeing how Christianity is modeled for them or should I say not modeled well for them. So many times we make a decision based on how we feel in the moment, breaking a promise, but we forget to take into account the long-term effects of breaking those promises. I've got a poem that I want to read for you really quickly. It talks about four promises that God makes to us. It's, it's by George H. Talbert. And it's, it says this, My Savior's grace, his grace is promised me. His tender love and care his deep concern in every grief, each burden he will share. My father's care is promised me, his faithful guiding hand to lead me on and bear me up to heaven's golden strand. My father's wealth is promised me, supplying all my need. He is a king and I his own am rich, yes, rich indeed. The Holy Ghost is promised me to in my heart abide, to hold me steady, pray for me, and keep me sanctified. Can you imagine if God didn't keep his promises? But he does. And it's amazing. And as we've heard this morning, being faithful to God goes far beyond what we might think. If you've walked away this morning just thinking being faithful to God means being faithful to your spouse, you missed the mark. <laughs> if we think that, that being faithful and the book of Hosea is all about, you know, how Hosea modeled what Jesus did for us, true, that, that's also true, but it's something much more than that. I'm hoping that, that every one of these books this, this summer is going to be a stake in the ground, and a model for us to live by. The, the Bible's not just meant to be filled with characters that we can look at and say, wow, look at how great they were. Look at how amazing that Bible character was. No, the Bible is meant for us 
to have a target to aim for and a daily prayer to pray saying, Lord, help me become that kind of person also. I want to be faithful to God and others in that way. Our lives, too, should reflect the very things that we read about in the Bible. And I could go on and on listing all the ways that God was faithful to us, but these are just the first three that I felt like God brought to my attention that he wanted me to share with you this morning. But you got to ask yourself this morning as we close, am I faithful? Do I forgive? Do I live out godly character qualities? Do I keep my promises? Do, do I redeem and buy back and do whatever it takes to love others above and beyond, even if they don't deserve it? And if not, it's not something to shame ourselves about. Not at all. But it is something to aim for, strive for, believe for, and reach for with the help of an amazing and almighty God. So in, in conclusion, don't, don't get overwhelmed by all the ways that God wants us to be faithful to him. But just pick one. Pick maybe one way that you feel like God's leading you to this morning that he wants you to take to heart and be faithful to him or be faithful to others. And pick that one and be faithful in that way. And just you watch how God is faithful to you in return throughout the entire process. He was faithful to Hosea. He was also faithful to the Israelites. He's faithful to you and to me. So let's be faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are and how much you love us and how faithful you are to us. And we just want to say, Lord, help us be faithful to you too. Maybe we read about it our whole entire lives and we know it in our head that you want us to be faithful. But Lord, help us to know it in our heart. Help us to live it out in our day-to-day -day lives sharing with others just how much we love you, being faithful to you as you've been faithful to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.